Well, good morning and welcome Calvary Quakertown. It's great to have you join us this morning on this first morning of fall. The only thing good about fall is football starts. Beside that, not a whole lot else is good happening because winter's coming. But anyway, we're starting a new series that we're calling Impact. And even though I say we're starting a new series, it's kind of like a continuation of the other series. It goes like this. We have two values, connect and impact, and they go together into a phrase that we've been teaching you that goes like this. As we connect with God and are impacted by him, he then sends us to connect and impact others with the gospel. And so that order is all important, right? Remember, we talked about it a lot during the summer. We are to treat others as God has treated us, not as we think they deserve to be treated, not as they treated us. We are to treat others the way God has treated us. That follows through with connection as well as impact. And so we're going to take the next 12 weeks or so, and we're going to look at impact, and we're going to do that by working our way through the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, you can begin turning there. We're not going to read something yet, but you can begin turning there. If you start all the way in the back at Revelation, just start turning toward the front, and eventually you get the 1 John. But I'm going to issue a challenge to you right up front. And so before we even read any verses, I've got a challenge to you from the series. Remember last week, Carlos gave you homework. And I hate to do this, and he's not here, so I can do it. How many of you remember the assignment? Raise your hand. All right, I think nine of you. Good. How many of you did the assignment? Oh, actually about the same number. Well, Carlos gave the assignment that goes like this. Whenever you think of someone at Calvary, whenever you think of a staff member, of somebody in your small group, somebody you're connected with, pray for that person and pray for the church. Well, and Carlos also said, get ready because we're ready to start a season of impact and that's going to take some time and energy. Well, in keeping with that theme, I've got a challenge at the beginning of the series. My challenge goes like this. It's five by five. I've got a five by five challenge. As I said, we're going to be in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John for about 12 weeks. Here's my challenge. I want every one of us, myself included, every one of us, I want you to read through 1st John at least five times. Oh, no moans. That was good. Five times. Now, it's five chapters. If you read through, you can kind of skip a week here and there, maybe every other week. But if you read a chapter a day, take weekends off, you'll be able to read through 1 John. That will familiarize you with the main themes of John. And then when we come together and talk about it, you'll be familiar with the surrounding context, which is really important. Now, the next part of the challenge, the second five, is a little more difficult. I'm going to ask you, myself included, we're going to memorize five verses from 1 John. It's kind of interesting, as I've been reading through 1 John a number of times these past few weeks, it's amazing how many significant and familiar verses are there that we need to make more part of us. It's interesting when you read through the Bible, you're really not commanded that often to read the Bible. We are commanded to meditate on the Bible. Well, what better way to meditate and if the words of the scripture are in your head, so if you're lying in bed at night and the lights are out and you don't have to reach for your phone, you can kind of rehearse the verses, right? If you're in a difficulty at work or difficulty in the family, the verses the Spirit can bring them to mind. So we're going to work on five verses. Read five times, memorize five verses, and those verses are going to be key as we go through. And I'm going to tell you what the verses are, 
And you'll be familiar with the references over the next few weeks, but I'm going to get you started by telling you what they are. The first verse is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to play with this a lot next week, but this is one of the most significant verses in all of the Bible. Here's what John writes. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You need that. I need that. I'm going to ask you to memorize that. Next one. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, John writes, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, you in that group, right? Don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We're forgiven not because we confess. We're forgiven because of what Jesus did. That's what the second verse means. Here's another verse you need to know from 1 John, verse 3 of chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, right? And so it isn't just this internal connection with God. We then live that out. That internal reality brings an outward expression. That's what we've been talking about through the summer. And so if, you, if you've come to know him, it'll reflect in how you live. Next one. 3.16. Now, you know John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You need to know 1 John 3.16. It goes like this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Notice the order again. Treat others the way God has treated you, not the way they deserve, not the way you think that they've treated you. Treat others the way God has treated you. There's a verse to help you do that. And we've got a verse from the end. Chapter 5 goes like this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John doesn't want us to think about it. He doesn't want us to wish it. He wants us to have confidence in our relationship with God. We're actually going to start looking at this verse in just a couple of minutes. So five by five. Read it five times. Memorize those five, those five verses. Those verses will be on the website. We'll put them on the app. We'll have cards we'll hand out. I wanted to give you a heads up about what the verses will be. So we're all set. All right, our outline this morning is pretty easy. Ready, set, go. We're starting a new series. Ready, set, go. How many of you are ready? Oh, that, that was pretty bad, right? <laughs> At least humor me, right? I, I, I have a, you know, a sensitive ego here. How many of you are ready? All right, good. Well, let's get started. Well, we can't jump right in. You ever know that? You can't jump right in because in order to get ready, you got to know some stuff. For example, you can't climb Mount Everest without some preparation. You can't have guests over to your house for dinner unless you make some preparation. You can't even change a light bulb without making some preparation. And I know that to be true because I had an experience yesterday that's still freaking me out. <laughs> right outside our garage, we have two lights, one on each side of the garage. And uh, I didn't notice, but my wife noticed that one light on the one side was burned out. So she says, um, do you want to help me change the light bulbs? Now, you need to understand, in my mind, I'm thinking, it's always more complicated and more expensive than I can imagine. But what can go wrong with changing a light bulb? So I get a ladder, I go up, I unscrew I figured out how to unscrew the top, I take the top off the light, three little light bulbs in there and the thing, I take them out, I look at them, I don't know if they're burned out or not. I'm thinking, boy, it's strange they all burned out together, though. That's kind of weird, right? So off I go to Home Depot. That's a big story. I, don't, I haven't been in there for a long time. I, go, I'm one. I, I find the light section. Of course, there's nobody there to help me. 
And the guy who's helping somebody else, it doesn't sound like he knows what he's doing. So I figured, heck with this, I'm going to Bergie's Electric. So I leave Home Depot and Kim and I go to Bergie's Electric. I go up to the counter, I said, I, I need some of these bulbs. The guy looks at him, boy, that's really interesting. All three of them are burned out. Well, that's good news to me because I'm thinking, well, then it's not something more serious, right? All three burned out. Oh, Charles, I've got a great deal for you. You need LED bulbs, not incandescent bulbs. I don't know what that means, but... So I said, well, you know what? If they're LED, you need to change the bones on the other side too. Well, now the project's getting bigger, right? I'm three, now it's six. Okay, great. It's almost 50 bucks for six little tiny LED bulbs. I take the bulbs home, screw them in, take off the other side. Kim's there cleaning up all the stuff. It's a mess. Put them in. As soon as I screw the last bulb in, both of the lights, so when he's, they're now flashing. The way the flashers are in your car, they're flashing. I tell Kim, go in the garage and turn them off. She turns them off. Nothing happens. They keep flashing. She says, I think there may be a switch in the house. We go in the house. I'm turning every switch. Eventually, I see there's a timer, and I hit that, and they stop flashing. For like 10 seconds. Then they're flashing again. All the switches are off. They're flashing. I hold it down. Eventually, I call Bergie Electric. What's going on? No. Oh, sorry. The man who helped you, he's not available right now. He'll call you back. I'm thinking the neighbors are going to call the police. They got flashing bulbs. Eventually, the Bergie Electric guy calls me back. I think I know your problem. You have a timer, but that timer doesn't work with LED bulbs. Why did you sell me LED bulbs for $50 when the timer does? You can bring them back and we'll give you incandescent bulbs or we'll send an electrician next week and you can get a new LED timer. You need preparation to even change a light bulb. Well, that long story is just getting all that off my chest. But there is a point to it. You, we need to get ready in order to read a book and in order to understand and get into First John, there are a few things you have to know. Usually three A's in getting to study a new book. Author, audience, application. Who wrote the thing? Who did he write to? And what's it about? Okay, well, 1 John was not written to John. 1 John was written by John. And that John was the Apostle John. Now, the Apostle John wrote five books in the New Testament. You may not have known that. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. So toward the end of his life, he was getting real freaky, right? So he wrote Revelation. Five, that's a whole bunch of the, I mean, if you were to take the, all the, you know, the words of the New Testament, John wrote a whole bunch of them, five books. Now, here's what you need to know about the timing. John was at this point, when he wrote these letters, the last surviving apostle. The other apostles have all been martyred. They've all been killed. They tried, but they couldn't kill John. They tried, he kept living. John was uh, living out his last days in Ephesus. That's a place where Paul visited, right? Paul wrote a letter to Ephesus. That's where John's kind of living his last days. Well, as you might guess, the last surviving apostle is pretty influential, right? And so a lot of the surrounding churches and churches that John planted, they're really interested in what John thinks and what John says. And so they're sending people to John. John, what do you think about this? John's starting churches. Things are going great. So who did he write to? He wrote to the churches around Ephesus. So he writes these letters to churches. Well, what did he write about? And here's where we need to kind of correct our idealistic thinking a little bit. 
I'm not sure if you've ever thought this, but sometimes when you read about these churches in the New Testament, we have a tendency to think it must have been great back then, right? I mean, can you imagine like the Apostle John being your pastor? That'd be great, right? And all these experiences, he could tell you, you know, what Jesus did and what he said. He was there. Uh, Yeah, but let me tell you, most of the churches that we know of in the New Testament, they were screwed up. And that's true of the churches that John started as well. So let me give you a couple of examples. Last summer, we looked at 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth was a mess, right? They were confused about their mission and divided about their leaders. I mean, what else can you mess up? You can't get the leadership thing right. You can't get the mission right. What are you getting right? How about the church in Philippi? Often have these idealistic thinkings. Some of the members of the Philippian church, they were at each other's throats. They're selfishly treating themselves and each other. They're condemning each other. Paul writes two letters to churches that are a mess. And John writes to churches that are worse than those, than those two. Here's what's going on in the churches that John writes to. A whole bunch of people have left John's churches. They've left the apostle John's churches. They've left, left because they thought they had a better way. They figured out the secret. They didn't like what John was selling anymore. They left. Then they began to throw grenades back at the people that stayed. And the people that stayed are kind of getting confused. They're getting anxious about whether they should leave too. And so John writes to churches that are experiencing anxiety, division. People have left. These churches have split. And John writes to them to explain a few things. How should you live in the midst of circumstances like that? How should you live in the midst of a split? How should you conduct yourself in the midst of accusation? How should you conduct yourself when life's not going the way you want? So that's kind of the ready part. Well, how about set? Well, what I want to do under the set column is to look at John's purpose. Now, we already had this verse up there when we talked about a memory verse, but I kind of love John because he usually tells you why he's writing. So we already read this verse, but I'm going to put it up again. John tells us toward the end of the letter why he's writing, okay? So now with some of that background, it may make a little more sense. Here's what John writes. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I'm writing to you Christians in the churches surrounding Ephesus. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. I know you're being accused as not not knowing. I know people are saying you haven't figured it out. I'm writing to you so that you can know And here's the really neat thing that John does. John is then going to explain how they can know. And so this series is all about impact. And what I'm going to say, God will impact us in these three ways that produce evidence. And therefore, we need to live out that impact and and connect and impact others with the same three things. Um, John also wrote at the end of the gospel why he wrote that. So if you put the next verse up, if you ever want to, as I said, I really like John. He tells you why he's writing stuff. At the end of his gospel in chapter 20, here's what he writes there. But these are written, I'm writing all this, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you can have life in his name. So John's writing his gospel to people who are either not believers or believers to grow their faith, figuring out Jesus is the Messiah, 
He writes his first letter to people that are Christians. They are in Christ. And he says, I'm writing these things so that you can know that you have eternal life. Now, here are um, the three evidences that you're going to hear repeated over the next few weeks, probably uh, ad nauseum. Here they are. Here are the three things that John gives. Truth, life, and love. Here's what John says. You can know that you know Jesus because your thinking has been changed and now you know the truth primarily about Jesus. Your life will reflect that truth and you will live the gospel and you will love one another. Three evidences. So you ever you know, wonder how you can tell if you're kind of in or not? You know, every once in a while we need to kind of do that examination. It's a good thing, right? How can you know that you know? Truth, life, and love. Are you believing the truth about Jesus? Are you living the gospel? And are you loving one another? Those are the three evidences. And uh, if, when you read through First John, as I'm going to trust you're all going to do, when you read through, you're going to say, whoever could outline this convoluted mess? Yeah, think of it this way. Think of walking up a spiral staircase, right? As you're reading 1 John. You're going up the staircase. You're going to walk around those three themes over and over and over and over again. Truth, life, love. Truth, life, love. And it's going to say, well, didn't he talk about that? Now he's talking about it again. You're walking up a spiral staircase. You're passing the same themes. It's a little different. You're at a higher level. Truth, life, love. The three evidences of how we can know. That's going to be real familiar to you, and that's kind of a, the message of the set part as to how, what, why John wrote the letter. Well, now we can get to the go. We can get to the go. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read the first four verses. Pretty simple and easy to understand. You just kind of follow along, and we'll be all, we all set. Right, here we go. Here's what John writes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched... This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Got it? I'll tell you what, is that a complicated mess right there? Let me read you some quotes. Uh, if you're feeling kind of overwhelmed and that's really dense, uh, you're in good company. Let me read a few quotes that commentators, guys who spend their life reading and studying the Bible, here's what they say about those four verses. Those verses are syntactically convoluted. They are complicated and in their interweaving. They are infuriatingly obscure. They're grammatically it's a grammatical tangle. They are obviously ambiguous. You feel better now? Here's my favorite statement on the four verses. Here's the problem. Well, what is which and who is we and what does we have to say about which to you? Do you notice all those uh, pronouns are in there? And so here's what one guy says. To untangle it, well, what is which and who is we? And what does we have to say about which to you? All that's in the first four verses. But you know what? 
Maybe in the details, it is grammatically convoluted and it's complex and it's kind of who's what and who and all. But on the surface, the message is crystal clear. John writes his whole letter about Jesus. And he has two main themes about Jesus through the letter. I'll tell them to kind of untangle some of the convolution. Number one, he talks about Jesus' incarnation. And number two, he talks about Jesus' substitution. That's what the whole letter is about. The incarnation and substitution. So what is 1 John 1, 1 to 4 about? It's about Christmas. That's what it's about. Oh, by the way, that's like three months away. Can you believe it? Um, it's about Christmas. What does John say? God became a human being. And if you don't believe me, I'm not the only witness. James could testify and Bartholomew and Andrew. We could bring up the other apostles. We heard what he said. We heard it from his mouth. We touched him with our hands. We saw the miracles he performed. This was not some figment. This was not a phantom. God became a human being. That is Christmas. Christmas really isn't, you know, trees and pretty lights and gifts. I mean, all that stuff's pretty cool, right? Christmas is about God becoming a human being. That's the incarnation. In fact, the word actually means that. Do you know what incarnation means? I'll ask you a question. What's the difference between chili and chili con carne? Anybody? Well, what, what is chili con carne? How is it different from chili? It has meat in it, right? Yeah, do you know what incarnation means? God in meat. That's what I mean, in meat. God puts on meat, right? He becomes a human being. That's the incarnation. And you may be saying, well, what's the big deal about that? That's a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal back in John's day. Those that left the church, those that split, they all said, God could never become a human being because spirit is good and stuff matter is bad. The spirit could never inhabit a body. And John says, wrong. The miracle of Christianity. And what you have to, right out of the chute, the one truth you have to believe in order to know, the one truth you have to believe in order to be a Christian, God became a human being. And if you don't believe that, you can't be a Christian. God became a human being. That's incarnation. And here are some of the implications of that. We live in a world in which uh, people say, I don't really think people are that bad. You know what? If I just knew what the rules were, I think I could follow the rules pretty well. If I knew what the don'ts were, I'd stay away from the don'ts. If I knew what the do's were, I would do all of the do's. I'm okay. Now that mindset syncs up perfectly with all other religious teachers, philosophers, etc. What do all other religious teachers and philosophers say? There is the way now go walk it. I'll motivate you. There's the path. Take it. There's the ladder. Go climb it. You know what the incarnation means? Yeah, there's the ladder. You can't climb it. You're already disqualified, and there's no way you could even make the first rung, let alone climb the ladder. That may be the path, but you can't walk it. You can't do the do's and don't do the don'ts. You can't do it. The incarnation means 
we are so hopeless and helpless that we need a substitute and another human substitute won't do. We are so hopeless and helpless, God had to become a human being to fix what ails us. That's how bad we are. That, friends, is why the incarnation is absolutely indispensable to what we believe. These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Truth, and what's the truth? God became a human being, and that mission was to rescue us and bring us back to a position of acceptance rather than rejection. Next week, we'll talk about how that happened. That's the substitute part of the incarnation part. But I want to end with a kind of a continuation of Carlos's assignment. Remember, he told you to pray, and I gave you a five-by-five five challenge, and Here's my assignment, just further details from the assignment Carlos gave. As God impacts our lives, our thinking will change and be more in line with truth, primarily truth about Jesus. Our life will change and we'll be living out the principles of the gospel and we will be loving one another to degrees that we'd never be able to in and of ourselves. That's, they're the evidence. That's how God impacts and how we're to impact. So here's the assignment. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for yourself and for someone else. You, whatever face comes to mind, whatever person comes across your thinking, I want you to pray for yourself that you will have confidence in your relationship with God. You know, there are four different groups of people in the world, four different groups of people in this area, four different groups of people probably represented in this room, and here they are. There are Christians who know they're Christians, just like 1 John says. There are non-Christians who know they're non-Christians. There are Christians who doubt if they're in or out. They live in that tension and anxiety of not knowing. And then there are non-Christians who think they're accepted. You know what 1 John's all about? To eliminate those last two groups. John wants you to know, hey, if you're out, he wants you to know you're out. And if you're in, he wants you to know you're in. So prayer number one, for yourself. Pray that your confidence grows as those evidences continue to develop in your life. And if there's no evidence at all, that's a pretty serious question. Wrestle with that. Talk to somebody. Second part, pray that for someone else. Maybe you know someone here, someone outside, a family member, and they're not sure which of those four groups that they're in. Pray for them that they would move to the, they're in, and they know they're in because of what Jesus has done. The second prayer is, pray that you would experience the joy of that gospel and that message. It's not coincidental that John ends that four-verse section by saying, I write these things so that you'll fellowship, that you'll have community with God and with one another. And I pray that you would live that joy, the joy of knowing that God became a human being and you're part of that rescue mission. You know, nothing will bring more joy to our hearts and nothing will bring more joy to others as we pray that not just for ourselves, but we deliver that and pray that for someone else as well. 
So two specific requests related to the prayer thing for yourself and others. Pray that you'd know and pray that you'd experience. Know the truth and experience God's love. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for, uh, for this letter. And even though we don't know all the details that we would like to know about background and who and what, Lord, I'm especially thankful for, for this morning for those convoluted first four verses that tell us it really does matter. And that we've got a God who is sovereign and a God who is loving. And that God was willing to become a human being and even pay the debt that we owed by going to the cross so that we can celebrate forever and experience acceptance with you and joy forever. We pray in his name. Amen.